Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you can possibly think of, has its own history, like cheese, feet and angels. Oh, I think we've done cheese and we've done feet. Have we done feet before? I think maybe we've done uh, shoes, but do you know what? Today I feel I'm so cross. I haven't told you this beforehand, but um, the firm, the the. I'm almost incandescent with rage. I can't speak. I got my flight for a summer holiday cancelled on me, like two weeks before I'm due to go. We should do the history of crossness, irritation, annoyance, incandescent rage, expletive-filled wrath. Or we could do tricks, Mm. kicks, licks, hicks, picks and flicks. I love the idea of uh, doing the history of flicks because it could be about literally flicking people, so sort of bullying. It could also be about the cinema going to the flicks, or it could even be a sort of French uh, take on on it uh, about the cops, le flic. Um, however, we are digressing as ever in a monstrous way as I calm down about the. Oh, my word, the company that just cancelled my flights. We will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of street parties, which was one of my favourite recent episodes, is in fact all about celebrations, peace, the coming together of communities. It's also about Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee. It's about town planning, block parties, riots, protests against Vietnam in 1969 during the Mifflin Street Block Party in Madison, Wisconsin. Who knew, Sam Willis? Who knew? (laughs) Or who knew that the history of ketchup is in fact all about 18th century housewives, cookery and medicine. It's about crime and poisoning and Jonathan Swift's poetry. It's also all about US nationalism, geopolitics and trade wars, including McDonald's pulling out of Russia in 2022. It's about spaghetti westerns. And who could forget it? It's also about the remarkable Mr Henry J. Hines. Who knew? Mm. Fascinating stuff. I'm still recovering from the sentence at the beginning of this podcast, which was cheese, feet and angels. And I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm the first person in the whole of history to say a sentence with those three words in it, James. Next door to each other. Uh, I'll be the second. Cheese, feet and angels. I'm sure we've done that. Have we done angels yet? 
Did we do? Mm. We did angels for our Christmas, one of our Christmas extravaganzas, yes. didn't we? And I think we've done wings. As and well. we've done cheese. anyway. Let me yes. Incredible. Let me introduce my my fellow presenter. If this man was a barefooted hiker from the present, toiling along the great beach of history, straining up the sand dunes of publication to the lofty peaks of knowledge, his footprints would be bipedal and toad as he uses his advanced genetic development to chase away the cloven hooved devils of ignorance and amnesia he is professor extraordinaire of early modern british history at plymouth university he is james daybell hello james hello sam you have outdone yourself as always i'm afraid i was so incensed and i will stop talking uh, about the cancellation of my flights but i was so incensed that i've spent the last two hours when i should have been writing an introduction for you uh, oh. trying to rebook it. So I've completely failed to do so. However, <laughs> I'm going to make it up as I go along now. You may well be wondering, who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Dave Elko pilot this very episode? Well, let's just say that if he were a footsteps-related historian, I would be following him around the archives of the past. <laughs> I'd be walking in his wake as he pulled shelves and shelves of documents documents together. I'd be trailing behind him as he strikes out, striding off into the distance to write the brilliant history of the past. And I'm really struggling now. It's often much better to to sort of write these properly, isn't it? Yes, you've guessed it. It's the famous historical adventurer himself, Dr. Sam Willis. This was your idea. everyone. This was your idea, Sam. Foot... Footsteps. 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 See, I think... footsteps, I think. I think think footprints are, in fact, the uh, historical remains of of footsteps. Does that make sense? It's, It's... Absolutely. It's, it's kind of archaeological evidence. It depends where those um, footprints have been made. But that was certainly something that I was thinking about. And it was one of the reasons I decided to do this topic, because um, I um, I was in Cornwall last week. Hmm. And it was a very beautiful day. And I went for a long walk just south of Newquay um, from uh, a beach called Porth Joke across to Holywell Oh, Bay. I love that beach. Love that beach. And... Um, it's ama- amazing, National Trust owned, enormous high cliffs, completely unspoilt. And we went there at low tide and I was, uh, I'd not actually done that walk before and was fascinated by the huge number of footprints which were visible on the beach at the far northern end of Holywell Bay. And I was wondering what on earth was going on here. And James, you may not believe this, but... In Holywell Bay, there is a holy well. I know, I've swum in it. <laughs> I, I have not swum in it. And uh, I, I, um, I love the fact that uh, as I looked down on the beach, there were, there were these, these steps. There was visible evidence of people walking around doing something interesting, uh, which led me to do a bit of historical research. So I'll talk a little bit about Holywell later. Oh, very good. I'm not sure I've swum in the holy well, but I certainly... Um... I certainly swam in the rock pools there, because when when it, when low tide goes out, it, you're left with these tremendous uh, pools to swim in, uh, and there's some yeah. wonderful sort of stalactites and stalagmites, and I'm sure that you're going to be talking all about that. Um, I'm mm. I'm not going to be talking about that, but I was thinking about you know about footsteps. I'm going to think about talk about footsteps in two very different ways. I'm going to talk about pilgrimages, um, and the sort of um, which basically are 
if you're thinking about footsteps in the path, these are voyages, you know, to often, I mean, started off to sort of holy sites. Um, so it's, you know, groups of people walking uh, together uh, around the world. Uh, and so actually, how do we reconstruct those footsteps? Um, and then related to that, I'm going to talk a little bit about footprints uh, and archaeological remains and some of the work that we did for our book on on the Romans. We got quite into shoes and walking, but also we talk, we wrote there a little bit about about footprints. So footprints that have been frozen in time. So in a sense, it's the sort of it's it, well, it's what you said. It's the archaeological remains of footsteps, our footprints. The uh, the beach ones. There are they're they're temporary, aren't we? So there are some wonderful archaeological remains of footprints which are are um, are permanent, mm. and that we can see them. You know, they've been there for for however many thousands of years, and that actually allows us to date um, in, important. Well, so you use it as an important date of human activity, uh, particularly in the White Sands National Park of New Mexico, which is what some mm. I've come across, where we've got this amazing set of footprints uh, which have been left in a in a kind of baked into the clay of a riverbed, and they were made twenty three thousand years ago, which is very important because it's about five thousand years before they thought there was any human presence in America at all. Um, and there are other examples like that, but I thought that that new um, the White Sands National Park example in New Mexico was particularly interesting. Actually, I love this one because it, it's not um, there, there are lots and lots of footprints here, um, and they uh, are not just any kind of human; they're kids, and it looks like they were they were playing basically. They were, they were messing around. Um, the 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 the, the heel impression and the toe impression is different from each one, um, and you can sort of get a sense of them hopping around and and leaping from place to place rather than just kind of the slow plodding that you might expect when you see a footprint. Basically, of someone walking from A to B, um, it's much more kind of flighty and full of joy than um, than just a plain footprint. Uh, so I love that. So it's not just evidence of humans. Uh, from such a long time ago, but but of kids and of kids playing as well. Um, but very different from that, obviously, are the footprints in beaches uh, because the tide comes in and then they're gone. And then they come back the next day and someone gets to do it all over again. So uh, Holywell Bay, um, it has this cave. It's also known as St Cuthbert's Cave. And it's tucked right into the um, the southwest, I suppose, the southwest corner of of a headland which is known as Kelsey Head. Um, you can only get there at low tide, and I would urge you all to do so. It's a natural spring, and it kind of bubbles down through a quite frankly surreal grotto. Is the only way to describe it. It's it's multicoloured. Uh, it's all at the back of the cave there, and there's a there's a pool that you can you can you can dip into, and that pool is what brought thousands upon thousands of of people there uh, for a very very long time indeed, uh, particularly uh, mothers with sick children, pilgrims, uh, people suffering from disability. Um, and they would come and drink from the holy well because it was said to have healing properties. Um, as I was looking into this, I ended up discovering a kind of another layer of history, which I thought was splendid. And that is the history of books about Cornwall, um, which goes back much further than I thought it would. So there's one here from 1894 uh, with a brilliantly named Mabel Quiller Couch. Hell of a name. 
and she writes about the ancient holy wells of Cornwall. So I suppose the important point to make here is it's not the only holy well in Cornwall. Cornwall, um, very famously, a wonderfully holy place. Um, I always love the, the the wayside crosses. James, if you come across the wayside crosses in Cornwall, you get these um, these uh, early Christian crosses which mark routes of uh, the Pilgrim's Way. Have you ever seen any I of them? I have seen those, yes. They're incredible. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think there are a couple on the A30, sort of the main road down to Cornwall, on the, on the, the side as you go down, um, go down west. So keep your eyes peeled for them. Um, anyway, Mabel Quiller Couch tells the story of what happened. Um, the Bishop of Lindisfarne, Aldhun, in 1995, he's basically uh, transporting the skeletal remains of St Cuthbert, uh, so a very important medieval saint, St Cuthbert, and he was going to Ireland, but he gets blown off course. His ship gets blown off course. It's a, one of my particularly good stories because it includes a shipwreck. Anyway, he ends up on the north coast of Cornwall, which is a pretty dangerous place to be uh, on a ship. Um, he settles there. He doesn't kind of um, repair the ship and immediately just try again. He stays there. He builds a church dedicated to St Cuthbert, um, a mile or so uh, from the coast of Hollywell. It's a village which is now called Cubert. Uh, but eventually he is told by an oracle. Um, I've never met, come across an oracle, James. I'd quite like to come across one. That he needs to return the relics of St Cuthbert to Durham, which is where they'd come from when they were supposed to be going to, um, uh, to Ireland. Uh, but as he was leaving from Holywell Bay, the saint's bones touched the side of the well, giving the spring its magical healing powers. Um, Absolute nonsense, of course. You wouldn't be leaving from Holywell Bay in a boat uh, at all, ever. <laughs> it's so dangerous. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, the, uh, the, 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 the bones of that saint touched well. So that, that gives you a story. But going back um, slightly again, 1877, so 20 years or so earlier, this is John Cardle Oliver's Guide to Newquay. Another fantastic name. John Cardle Oliver. And he describes it. It's a somewhat curious place. After passing over a few boulders, the mouth of the cave will be reached where steps will be found leading up to the well. This rock-formed cistern is of a duplicate form, consisting of two wells having a communication existing between them. The supply of water is from above, and this water, being of a calcareous nature, has coated the rock with its earthy deposits, giving to the surrounding walls and to the well itself a variegated appearance of white, green and purple. Above and beyond the well will be seen a deep hole extending into the cliff i thought that was splendid and finally um it, the history of uh, books about cornwall james goes back even further to william howell who wrote a history of cornwall sorry william howells wrote a history of cornwall which he compiled between 1685 and 1736 very very old i was really surprised by that Hmm. In this parish is that famous and well-known spring of water called Holy Well. So named, the inhabitants say, for the virtues of this water was first discovered on All Hallows Day. The same stands in a dark cavern off the sea cliff rocks beneath full sea mark on spring tides, from the top of which cavern foils down or distills continually drops of water from the white, blue, red and green veins of those rocks. And accordingly, in the place where those drops of water fall, it swells to a lump of considerable bigness and there petrifies to the hardness of ice, glass or free stone of the several colours aforesaid, according to the nature of those veins in the rock from whence it proceeds and is of a hard, brittle nature, apt to break like 
glass. And he goes on to say that the virtues of this water are very great. It is incredible what numbers in summer season frequent this place and waters from counties far distant. So um, these footsteps on the beach led me to think about this wonderful cave uh, and also discover the multi-layered and surprisingly long history of books about Cornwall. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And if you were looking for something even earlier, you could do no worse or do no better uh, than looking at Richard Carew's survey of Cornwall, published in 1603, which is the first classic description of Cornwall, um, Mm. which has been recently edited uh, for Boydell and Brewer um, by some very talented historians. So you should check that out. Fascinating, Sam, as ever, as always. Uh, and that part of the that part of the Cornish coast is wonderful. I've done uh, lots of walks around there, and I love that. I love that beach. Uh, and is it, is it from Pollyjoke that you can sort of go along? There's the seal colony there, and then you can walk over the cliffs and get down. Yeah, yep. beautiful, beautiful. That's it, yep. Um, excellent. Well, I'm going to take us back in time and talk about picking up on something that you were talking about, you know, just before you started that. You were talking about those frozen footprints or those children's footprints uh, that have been captured. And we talked about this in a chapter on feet that we wrote in our little book on the unexpected history of the Romans. And what we were looking at there was walks frozen in time. And it, it's actually quite rare to find Roman footprints themselves. And they survive in in small numbers, but they are really tantalising. And actually, as archaeological finds, they are really powerful as moments from the ancient world, you know, people walking around frozen in time. And we know how people walked since there are literary sources that mention them. We can think about people walking as men, people walking as women, who people walk with, power walking, all of that kinds of thing. We can see that from literary sources. We can see that in visual representations that depict people walking. But all too often, this most basic of 
human activities leaves very little material trace. Now, one remarkable exception of this is a footprint that was found in Vindolanda, that amazing uh, Roman site in the north of England. Uh, and among the, the remains that have been uncovered at this site is a 2,000-year-old tile which was discovered during a summer school excavation in 2015. And imagine this, Sam, impressed into this clay tile is what archaeologists believe to be the footprint of an adolescent, a young teenager, made at some point around 160 to 180 common era. That's remarkable. Now, another example survives in the Yorkshire Museum, and this is something altogether very different. It's the print of a hobnail-booted Roman soldier who trod on a setting floor tile in the Roman town of Eboracum, which I think I've pronounced that correctly, which evolved into what is now York. And a human footprint and a hobnailed shoe print also survive in a tile from Fishbourne Roman Palace near Chichester in Sussex, dating, uh, archaeologists think, from the 3rd century. There are also all sorts of other uh, examples of military footprints that have been discovered in Israel at archaeological sites there, just east of the Sea of Galilee. And here again, it's the markings made by hobnails, and these are the standard footwear for Roman legionaries, which is this sort of tough leather uh, sandal or boot with nails in the soles for, for grip. These are the prints that have generally uh, survived and whether this is by accident whether it's intentional pranks you know so somebody actually standing on a tile to sort of you know <laughs> leave their imprint there what we have here yeah. is a is really rare physical evidence of the practice of walking and we're, you're about as close as you can get to walking in the footsteps of the population of the roman empire but it's not just people it's also animal prints that have been frozen in time and a number of animal prints dating from ancient Rome survive in floor tiles with animals probably having padded over wet clay with animals it's probably it's much less it's much less about pranks it's more about just sort of carelessly walking over uh, wet clay now the Yorkshire Museum again contains another example uh, and, and this time the paw prints of a dog uh, impressed into a brick and the paw prints measure about seven centimeters in in size and the animal's claws are quite visible today but one of the largest collections of animal footprints uncovered by archaeologists is from the roman site of kefar orthne legio in israel near to the location of a roman camp of the sixth legion uh, ferrata in the jezreel valley which dates from about circa uh, 200 ce and the, what we have here is the prints of five carnivores it's thought to be badgers, dogs, cats and these were found among the domestic structures of the settlement four on tiles and one on a clay pot discernible from the unique claw marks that are left behind and it's thought that the animals walked over what must have been newly made tiles as they were laid down to dry and the cat's paw is found in the surface of a pot is particularly charming it might have been made by the animal leaning against it or even pouring at the pot or else by stretching up to pour the drying 
jar on the rack, perhaps in search of a snack. And in combination with zooarchaeological evidence of animal bones, historians have been able to use this evidence of footprints in order to reconstruct a picture of the movements of domestic and non-domestic animals that lived and roamed around this site and the immediate area. So not only do we have the archaeological remains of the people who lived there but also the animals that inhabited in that area so i thought that was a fascinating way of sort of looking at looking at footsteps from the perspective of footprints yeah wonderful it, it is fascinating um, the that cat one really is quite extraordinary isn't it yes the um that 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 mark there um <clears throat> have you ever been you must have done uh, ever been to one of those kind of quaint towns, old towns that you get in the Mediterranean where generations of footsteps have worn the pavement smooth? I have, yes. Yes. Yeah. Does that ring a bell? I mean, particularly I'm thinking about uh, split loads of places in Croatia. Um, so they've got this wonderful limestone, mm. um, uh, Dubrovnik split, uh, Zadar, um, and there are various others all along that coast. Some lovely examples in Montenegro as well. Um, and what you have is these um, almost the, the footprints have almost kind of made made the rock shiny. And um, I've been thinking about that, and I was wondering about examples from castles I've come across, and also churches where you have stairs which have apparently been worn down by thousands and thousands of feet. Um, and sort of just scrabbling at the corners of my mind, I think there is a very good example of this on the stairs going up to uh, Santiago de Compostela. Oh, I bet there is. There? I bet there is. No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's one of the most kind of famous pilgrim routes, um, uh, which I know you're going to go on and talk about, James. Um, but it's quite interesting when you've got this many people going somewhere that they can wear away, or they, or it's claimed that they wear away. I wonder whether it's actually to do with the, with the weather rather than the footprints. I wasn't quite sure. I thought it might be like a trope of guidebooks and tropes of history and actually... I just wasn't entirely sure whether whether stone can be worn away uh, without it being um, there's some kind of water action being involved there. But what do you think about that? Any thoughts? I think it. I think we it firmly def- accept the story. I think it definitely can. I think I could firmly accept the story. And we talked about it when we looked at corridors as well. Do you remember when we were talking about mm. corridors and we were talking about Victorian houses and we were talking about the servants or the maid servants who would have sort of traipsed around from the kitchen up into the sort of into the hallway and carried food around and those steps would have been worn away with sort of you know decades and decades of people walking over them so yes absolutely yeah you you, you good 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 i, I think oh, I do i'm as a well. total, I was, I'm a total un, un, convert to it um so we've got there are certainly all sorts of wonderful examples primarily in welsh castles i can think of of um, magnificent spiral staircase going up turrets uh, which are worn down um uh, uh, palaces, churches. So uh, I'd urge you all to go to Santiago de Compostela and um, just to check. But I think the steps outside of it are noticeably worn down, representing the the enormous amount of people who um, have travelled there on pilgrimage. So it comes back to this holy world, James. This is going to be all about pilgrimage this episode, isn't it? It certainly um, is. And 
these examples of steps that are worn down, the opposite of that is actually really interesting as well. So you've got pristine steps from history, and there are a couple of very obvious examples which uh, sprung to mind here. The first is the wonderful Yong, uh, Emperor Yongle's uh, staircase at the Forbidden City. So it's a it's a it's a magnificent, uh, heavily um, decorated granite staircase, and uh, only the Emperor Yongle was allowed to use it, and he was probably quite a slight person, um, because there are no marks left there at all, and in all of the many generations since, no one else has been allowed to go up those stairs. Um, You also have the Scala Sancta in Rome. Um, uh, James, I'm I'm assuming you might have been to see the Lateran Palace in Rome, where the Pope lives. Yes, yes, Um, yes, I've not. I've never been been to Rome. Um, (gasps) Oh, it's the most incredible city, Sam. You need to go you need to go it's, rem- mm. it's remarkable i think it, i think of rome as three cities there's ancient rome uh, there's papal rome and then there's 19th century rome of the unification and they all converge together and all interweave and sit cheek by jowl it's the most extraordinary most extraordinary city really lively energetic at night amazing food wonderful people I mean, antiquities galore. I mean, the, the the real shame about it is that there are so many that they are. It's really difficult to look after them all, and they're you know, they're sort of eroding away. But yeah, it's a superb city, Sam. Mm-hmm. I bet uh, there are wonderful examples of um, of uh, footsteps wearing down stone there, but not at the Scala Sancta. So, according to tradition, um, these are the holy stairs. They are literally the actual steps. Um, they were removed and brought to Rome that led up to the Praetorium of Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem, on which Christ stepped on his way to trial during his passion. And then the stairs were reportedly brought to Rome by St. Helena in the 4th century. Um, Good work from a female saint there. And uh, you obviously can't walk at all on the original staircase, but even the, 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 the replica stairs, which flank the original one, can only be climbed on your knees. So um, you end up with a very pristine staircase, the opposite of these worn-down stairs that I've been thinking about in castles and churches. Oh, brilliant, Sam. And I'm going to pick you up there on the and just sort of talk a little bit in general terms about about pilgrimages, because I think if we're talking about about footsteps, you know, these are practices where people are you know on on foot or, or on horseback, you know, sometimes, and they are they are walking over very long journeys. And the pilgrimage is a it's part of a of a devotional practice, I suppose, undertaking a journey and going somewhere that has some kind of importance. And I think it's worth thinking about that, that it isn't something that's necessarily religious. You can have modern-day pilgrimages. You know, people might go to, to Graceland. People might go and see where the Beatles were born. People might go to, you know, a particular baseball field or stadium or you know or and i imagine you sam would would go to uh, either, either it would be either you would make a maritime pilgrimage or it would probably be something to do with cricket i imagine going to the sort oh, yes. of hallowed yes it would the, the oval or lords mm. or somewhere like that or you know something yep. connect, connected to sport but if you think about this idea of making of going on a journey like that and generations of people before you know following 
in your footsteps. I think that the actual experience of it is something that's quite transient. And what it does is it, it takes you out of your day-to-day -day life. It takes you away from, from home, from your environment. It, in some ways, it's quite liberating. And it means that you undertake it as a as a task, almost as a quest, that it's something that because it's walking, it's something that's very physical, so it's exercise, and also it's it's spiritual, so the, the two are, are intertwined. And if we think about the origins of it, it's something that goes back pre-antiquity, and pilgrimages have been around for, you know, for literally millennia, and they are a very strong feature of most world religions, whether it be Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shinto, Judaism, they all have pilgrimage as part of what they are seeking to do. And in some ways, it's, in some ways, in those, in religious terms, it is about the fulfilment of a vow, it's a gesture of thanks, it's atoning for sins, and you know so you are undertaking this journey this sense of travel um for a particular purpose and it's also something that is has social economic and cultural importance as well and the 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 sort of the movement of peoples was connected to to sort of trade and traffic and local economies and people would you know bring wealth into the towns if you go to holy sites nowadays in around catholic europe there's a whole industry that has grown up around people you know being you know about about travelers going and visiting and and things that are frankly utterly gaudy you can buy various things one of the loveliest descriptions that i've that i came across of of Christian pilgrimage was by um, Pope Benedict the the sixteenth, um, who wrote, "To go on pilgrimage is not simply to visit a place to admire its treasures of nature, art, or history. To go on pilgrimage really means to step out of ourselves in order to encounter God, where He has revealed Himself, where His grace has shone with particular splendour and produced rich fruits of conversion and holiness among those who believe. Above all, Christians go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to the places associated with Lord's Passion death and resurrection. They go to Rome, the city of the martyrdom of Peter and Paul, and also to Compostela, which you spoke about earlier, Sam, which, associated with the memory of St James, has welcomed pilgrims from throughout the world who desire to strengthen their spirit with the Apostles' witness of faith and love. Now, it just got me sort of thinking about, you know, where you might go in a non-religious non way, where you might go on a pilgrimage, Sam. And I, I just wondered where do, do you have any places that you sort of you 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 go to on a sort of pilgrimage like that? Are you, do you mean regularly? No, or, or, you, or just a sort um, of one-off? You want to make a pilgrimage to, you know, such and mm. such? Make make a pilgrimage to a to a local hostelry or something like that? Or <laughs> yeah, do pilgrimages to the pub? Yes. Um, I Ronnie Scotts. Ah, oh, I've never been. Uh, I've always wanted to go. Jazz club, London, yes. old London jazz club, and it's a it's a wonderful place. Um, and I've been a few times, and I went first when I was my eighteenth birthday. 
and oh. uh, yeah, and it's a, so it's a place where you can listen to the most magnificent live music, but also you know kind of respect all of the uh, the, the wonderful musicians which have been there um, throughout history. Um, it, uh, what you said about Graceland was interesting because that made me realise also that there are waves of popularity of locations of pilgrimage. Yes. So you don't assume that. Um, all pilgrimage sites are kind of visited at the same by the same number of people. So I'm actually ebbs and flows throughout history. And Graceland really got me thinking because there's a new Baz Luhrmann film coming up out oh, about is, Elvis. Yes. And I reckon that once everyone has seen that, I was watching the trailer for it, it's unbelievable. Um, once everyone's seen that, then there will be a, a far greater number of people making that pilgrimage to um, to the Graceland estate in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, gosh. I've been to Graceland, in fact. I've been on pilgrimage to Graceland, and it is incredibly disappointing. Um, hmm. It's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's incredible, and I, I was obsessed with Elvis as a young teenager. Uh, I think there was a sort of spate of Elvis movies when I was about 11, 10 or 11 on BBC Two. Every afternoon, it seemed, that there was another Elvis Presley film on, and I got quite obsessed with him. So I was really excited to go on pilgrimage to Graceland. But, it is, yeah, it's much, much smaller uh, than you'd imagine. Mm. But um, the history of pilgrimage, Sam Willis, brings us, of course, to the unexpected history of gloves. Would you believe that? Because, <laughs> because it does. Uh, because um, when pilgrims go to sites of pilgrimage, they often have pick up little souvenirs, and pilgrims would often pick up badges. And one of the most interesting badges that I have come across is Thomas Beckett's gloves. It was like a little sort of lead um, sort of design of, of a pair of gloves. Um, and badges and souvenirs were sold across Europe in the Middle Ages, um, relics to do with, you know, the local sort of martyred saint or where there were miracles or whatever. So all the places that you've talked about, Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain or, you know, or, or Rome or wherever, there are, you would pick up these little sort of tokens. And at Canterbury Cathedral, where Thomas Beckett was martyred, um, you can pick up badges that are associated with Beckett and there are there are gloves um, and they're made of lead alloy um, and they would have people would have sort of had them as a little sort of token of having been and visited there so there we are there's a sort of roundabout way in which the history of uh, footsteps is in fact related to the history of gloves I haven't spoken about gloves for what? a while <laughs> Wonderful stuff, James. Well done. Well, uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed our history of footsteps and footprints. Um, there's a, more to this as well. I suppose you could do the history of um, carpet cleaning, for example. Oh. Um, that's probably probably all to do with the Industrial Revolution, but it's uh, also to do with dusty footprints. So whenever you someone leaves dusty footprints on your carpet, don't be cross. See it as a uh, as a cause to go do some research yeah. into the Industrial Revolution and how people clean their homes. I, I was thinking about footprints in the snow, and I was also thinking about trying to hide your footprints, trying to hide your tracks, which brings you round to tracking trackers people mm. hunting people oh. down uh, we should have done mm. that the hunted yeah the hunted excellent i, I think um what you said earlier james of your terrible flights we should do the history of cancellation oh. because um 
You know, it's a real popular phrase now of people being cancelled. Yes. Uh, so you can, the humans can be cancelled. It's changed as a verb. Um, but cancellation is quite interesting. It's probably very similar to the history of editing. It's to do with the control of um, the control of information. Um, anyway, that's going to come. Um, do please follow us on uh, social media to find out what we're all up to. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, do please listen to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. And if you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at James Daybell. You can follow the podcast at Unexpected Pod. We are also on Instagram and Facebook, so come and make friends with us there. We have a website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, which has our entire back catalogue, signed copies of our books as well are available there. And if you wish to support the way in which we're trying to change the way in which people think about the past, you can become a patron by heading over to patreon.com to our Histories of the unexpected page. Now, we're very excited because we have two work experience students and an intern working with us over the summer. Uh, We're very excited to have them. Uh, They're going to be doing all sorts of things for us, so expect to see very good things coming your way very soon. That's it for now, guys. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.